Turn with me this morning to the Gospel of John, chapter 1. So I mentioned uh, last uh, Lord's Day, I'm going to be on again a new series of sermons uh, this week. And I'm not going to preach through a book of the Bible uh, for a few months. I'm going to be looking at, uh, at events from the life of Peter. I decided to do that since we just finished studying 1 Peter, that we would uh, kind of look at Peter's life, look at various gospel texts, accounts of his life. And uh, my plan is for this to take us right up to and after Easter uh, as we look at some of the events in Peter's life around the death and the resurrection of Jesus. So we're going to begin in John chapter 1. We're looking at verses 35 through 42 this morning. John 1, verse 35. Again, the next day, John was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. And Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What do you seek? And they said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying and stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He found first his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which translated means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. And Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which translated is Peter. Again, that is God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, be our teacher by your Holy Spirit today as we turn again to your word. We love your word. It is, we know, a light into our path, a lamp into our way. And I pray that it would shine brightly on us today. That the Holy Spirit might illumine us to be able to see and understand and apply the truths of your holy word. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. As you know, Peter is one of the most fascinating and intriguing people in the Bible. He goes from one end of the spectrum to the other. Sometimes it seems at the snap of a finger. One minute, Peter is the boldest and the bravest of the apostles, and the next minute he appears to be quite weak and cowardly. There are times when you study the life of Peter and you think to yourself, I want to be like that. Other times you study events in his life and you come away horrified by what he said or did. But that vacillation is what makes Peter so intriguing. And that's why we are drawn to Peter. You know, Peter is an everyman. Peter is one of us. We see a lot of ourselves in Peter. We can identify with his struggles. We can sympathize with his weaknesses. We can understand His failures. But even though he was a man with fleet of clay like we are, God used him in remarkable ways. And we're encouraged, aren't we? That God could use a man like that. 
to do such tremendous things for the kingdom. And it causes us to think, well, just maybe if God could use a man like Peter, maybe he could use someone like me. As I said when I introduced my series of sermons on 1 Peter some months ago, Peter shows us that God's not looking for perfect people. God's looking for willing people. And God uses us just as we are with all our warts, all our weaknesses, and all of our inadequacies. Peter, of course, was one of the twelve apostles. More than that, he was one of the three that we know to be a part of the inner circle of those twelve. Those were Peter, James, and John. They were the three who spent the most time with Jesus and who were with Jesus in some of his most personal moments. And it's Peter, however, who stands out even above those other two. As I said, my plan is for us to look at some of the experiences of Peter that are described for us in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And as we examine these um, historical, biographical texts of Scripture, we'll be looking for things in the life of Peter that we can take and apply to our own lives. Some of those things will be theological. And some of those things will be practical. I think you'll find both those true this morning. But as we study the life of Peter, my prayer is that all of us will find some things that will help us as we seek to serve the Lord with gladness and as we seek to follow him in obedience. Now we're going to begin with this passage in John 1 where we are first introduced to Peter in the Gospels. And where we see how it was that Peter came to faith. I've entitled my sermon this morning, Peter's Conversion. And I've given it that title because I believe that's what we find described for us and taking place here in these verses. First, I simply want us to see the historical situation in Judea at that time. There was quite a commotion taking place out by the Jordan River, due east of Jerusalem. And that commotion was caused by a man named John, the one we commonly know as John the Baptist, not the Apostle John who wrote uh, this gospel. Uh, John was preaching in the wilderness of Judea. His basic message was one of repentance from sin and forgiveness of sin. And he told the people to repent in order to prepare for the coming of the Lord. Now this was significant. Because John claimed to have a message from God. And God had been silent for 400 years. Since the close of the prophecy of Malachi, the people of God had not heard from God. And now here was John out in the wilderness, dressed like an Old Testament prophet, acting like an Old Testament prophet, Claiming to have a message from God. And so word spread quickly of this bizarre man. Who was out with this peculiar message. In the wilderness of Judea. So the people flocked out there to hear. And to be baptized by him. Now you need to understand that the Jews expected the Messiah to come. 
They knew that the Old Testament prophets had told of the Christ who would come and set his people free. They didn't know when that would happen. They didn't know what that Christ would be like or what he would act like. And all those years of silence, they kind of lulled them into a kind of spiritual dullness. When John appeared on the scene, it's like it jolted them awake. And they began to realize those Old Testament prophecies. And they began to put two and two together and they wondered who this might be out there in the wilderness preaching this message saying he had word from God. And they even thought that John might be that promised Messiah himself. In fact, the religious leaders sent a delegation to John to ask that very question. Look back with me in John chapter 1 to verses 19 through 22 where we find this. This is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent to him priests and Levites from Jerusalem, they asked him, Who are you? And he confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. Then they said to him, Who are you? So that we may give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? When John didn't give them a satisfactory answer, they pressed him even further. Look at verse 25. They asked him and said to him, Why then are you baptizing if you're not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? And John answered them saying, I baptize in water, but one stands among you whom you do not know. It is he who comes after me, the thong of whose sandal. I am not worthy to untie. And so that's what's happening as we come to the opening of the gospel accounts of the life of Jesus. There's this great commotion caused by John out in the wilderness, people wondering, who is this man? And what is this message that he has from God? Well, second, we see that Jesus is identified. Because even though Jesus... Or, excuse me, even though John clearly was pointing away from himself, from himself to someone else who would come, there were some who heard him who attached themselves to John and became his disciples. Look at verse 35, the first verse in our text, where it says, And again, the next day, John was standing with two of his disciples. Now those two disciples of John were young men. One was named Andrew and the other was named John. Look at verse 40. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. Now the other one is not mentioned. John never mentions his own name in his gospel. He always refers to himself in the third person. We believe the two disciples of John who were standing with him in verse 35 and around whom this text centers are Andrew and John. And John was standing there with these two disciples when Jesus approached. And when he saw Jesus in verse 36, he said this, Behold the Lamb of God. Now that wasn't the first time John had said that. If you look back into verse 29, 
It says, the next day he saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, you need to understand, this is in and around the baptism of Jesus. The great event where John baptized Jesus and the voice from heaven came and said, This is my beloved Son, whom I'm well pleased, and on whom the Holy Spirit descended as a dove. And, and John had clearly said, This is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He was clearly pointing away from himself to someone else, someone greater, someone who would do more, someone who was indeed not just a messenger from God, but who was the Lamb of God. And John's goal was never to attract a band of followers to himself. His goal was always to point people to Jesus. Now, that transition from following John to following Jesus happened in our text, beginning with verse 35. When Andrew and John heard John the Baptist say this in verse 36, we find in verse 37, the two disciples heard him speak and they followed Jesus. Andrew and John were the first two followers of Jesus. They got it. They understood, finally, after probably hearing it for the third or fourth time, behold the Lamb of God. They understood what John said. He must increase, but I must decrease. And one is coming who is greater than I, whose sandal I'm not even worthy to untie. Well, why did that happen? Why did Andrew and John follow Jesus here in our text? You know, there had been huge crowds who had come out from Jerusalem and surrounding areas to, to hear, hear John. John was a public spectacle. Many had come to hear his words. Many had been baptized by him. John and Andrew were not the only two who heard John say of Jesus, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So why did they respond? Why did they follow Jesus? When so many others clearly did not. Well, the Bible teaches that salvation is a work of God. You must be born again, Jesus said. You must be born from above or born of God to be able to follow Jesus like Andrew and John did. We read earlier in our unison of scripture from Ephesians chapter 2, which says that we, in our natural condition apart from Christ, are dead, dead in trespasses and sins. Apart from Christ, we are spiritually dead, spiritually helpless, unable to do anything to rescue ourselves or to save ourselves. So how are we saved? How do we decide to follow Jesus? It's really only as God changes our hearts through a work of his grace and gives us new hearts that we might be able to believe and follow Jesus. Turn with me. Keep your finger in John 1. And turn over to that passage 
in Ephesians chapter 1. Where I want you to see the flow of, of, of the argument here from the Holy Spirit through Paul. Look with me at verse 1. Ephesians 2 verse 1 again. We read this earlier together. Where it says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Then look down at verse 4 where we find two of the most important words in all the Bible. Where it says, But God. And then verse 5 where it says, He made us alive together with Christ. Folks, that's the, that's, the, that's the basic, fundamental premise of the gospel. Verse 1, you were dead. Verse 4, but God. Verse 5, what did he do? He made you alive together with Christ. That's why he goes on to say in verse 8, For by grace you have been saved through faith. That's what we sang earlier. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound. They saved not somebody deserving like me. Not somebody meritorious like me. Not somebody worthy like me. But who saved a wretch like me. It's because of God's grace that I, I once was lost, but, but I've been found. I was blind. Now I see. It's because of something God did. And that was true of Andrew and John. The reason we're told in the text that they followed Jesus is clearly because God had done something to change their hearts. God had enabled them to see and to understand the reality of what John proclaimed that this was the Lamb of God who took away the sin of the world. And if you are a believer this morning, the same is true for you. Your salvation is all of grace. God's grace. And that He opened your eyes to see, He changed your heart to give you new life that you might understand and believe. That you might follow Jesus yourself. Salvation is all of grace. John had the privilege of identifying Jesus. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And God the Holy Spirit took those words and applied them to the hearts of Andrew and John. And they followed Jesus. And third, we see the conversion of Peter. When, when, when Jesus became aware that Andrew and John were following him, he, he turned around to them in verse 38. And he asked them a question. And the question is, what do you seek? It's interesting, he didn't ask, who do you seek? He said, what do you seek? What are you looking for? What do you want? Really, I think the question is, what do you want from me? Now, Jesus didn't ask the question for information. He already knew what they were seeking. He was really asking for their own personal benefit. He knew that Andrew and John had heard John the Baptist talk about Repentance and forgiveness of sins. He knew that they had heard John the Baptist say of him, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He knew that, that Andrew and John were, were seeking him, following him, because they wanted that. 
because they wanted to repent and they wanted their sins to be forgiven, for their sins to be taken away. And that is why they were following Jesus. And they answered Jesus with a question of their own. And they asked him at the end of verse 38, Rabbi or teacher, where are you staying? Now, that might seem to be an odd question on the surface of it. But, but I think it reflects the sincerity and the commitment these two men had in following Jesus. They had been staying with John as his disciples. And now they're about to transfer that allegiance to stay with Jesus and become his disciples. They weren't about just to follow Jesus down the road for the day. They are about to follow Jesus wherever he went, wherever he led them for the rest of their lives. So they asked Jesus, where are you staying? Where are you taking us? Where are you leading us? And I think the assumption behind the question is we are going wherever you lead us and wherever you take us. And so they spent and they spent the rest of the day with him. Now we're not told what happened in that conversation or what Jesus said, but wouldn't you have loved to have been a fly on the wall? To hear Jesus talking to these first two followers, Andrew and John, explaining to them who he was and, and what he came to do. And whatever it was said, it's clear that that day was the day of salvation for these two young men. Their lives were never the same again. Jesus changed them. You know how it is when you have good news, really good news. Can you keep good news to yourself? We always want to share good news, don't we? And that's what we find Andrew doing. Look, you've got to understand, Andrew has just come to faith. He's just realized that this really is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He just realizes that his sins have been forgiven. And he immediately wants to share that good news with someone else. And you know how it is when you have good news to share. The first people with whom you want to share it are those who are closest to you. Those who mean the most to you. And that's what Andrew did. Andrew went and found his brother. Who happened to be Peter. At this point his name is Simon. He went to find Simon to give him the good news. Look at verse 41. He found first his own brother Simon, and he said to him, We have found the Messiah. That's the good news. Simon, we found him. We have found the Messiah. And then look at verse 42. He brought him to Jesus. What sweet words those are. He brought him to Jesus. You know, we talk a lot about Peter. We don't talk so much about Andrew. Andrew fades into the background in the unfolding of biblical history while Peter is elevated to a prominent place. 
You know, just as John decreased and Jesus increased, so Andrew decreased and Peter increased. But don't you see the important role that Andrew had? Andrew brought Peter to Jesus. Now I want to make it clear that, that Peter's came, conversion came about the same way Andrew's did. God the Holy Spirit caused him to be born again. There's, there's no indication in the text of Peter doing anything to earn his salvation, of doing any works to merit being forgiven. It simply says that Andrew brought him to Jesus, telling him we found the Messiah. And as a result, Peter's life was changed. It was amazing grace that saved a wretch like Peter, too. But, but in his sovereign wisdom, what means did God use to bring that about? In his sovereign power, what human instrument did God use to bring about Peter's conversion? It was this young man, Andrew. It was Simon's brother who brought him to Jesus. God used Andrew to bring to faith one of the most significant people in biblical history. We're told in verse 42... He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him, that is, looked at Simon, and said, You are Simon, the son of John, and you shall be called Cephas, which translated is Peter. You see, not only did Jesus change Peter's name, or Simon's name, Jesus changed Simon. And his life was never the same. Now, no one loves to teach on the sovereignty of God and salvation more than I do. Don't you just love the fact that salvation is all of God? And even though we're dead in our trespasses and sin, God makes us alive together, together with Christ. Now, by the Holy Spirit, He calls us to salvation, and that call is an irresistible call. And He draws us to Himself and gives us new life in Christ. Don't we love the fact that it is God who gives us the faith to receive the gift of grace that he's given us in Christ? Boy, let's never forget that God uses human means to accomplish his eternal purpose. Behind every believer, there is someone who told them about Jesus. Maybe in a preacher, proclaiming a sermon from the pulpit. Maybe in a youth pastor or youth leader leading a Bible study with the youth. Might have been a parent talking with his child or a father leading family devotions. Might have been a Sunday school teacher or a Bible study leader or a helper. Isn't that a demeaning term? A helper. What do you do at vacation Bible school? I'm just a helper. I've been a helper. 
Vacation Bible School. I've been a friend sitting by a campfire or fishing at the lake. I've been someone who just gave another person a Bible or shared some scripture. But behind every believer, there's someone who told them about Jesus. Might have been any number of people in any number of settings. And yet, when someone follows Jesus, it's because someone told them about Jesus. I want you to turn with me as we conclude Romans chapter 10, where Paul talks about that very thing. Romans 10. Let's begin with verse 9. These are familiar words. We read this, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised from the dead, you shall be saved. Then look at verse 13. For whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. But then he goes on to ask in verses 14 and 15, how then will they call on him in whom they've not believed? And how will they believe in him whom they've not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? How they preach unless they are sent. Just as is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. Folks, Andrew had beautiful feet because he brought good news of good things. Now you might think this sermon is more about Andrew than it is about Peter. And you're probably right. But God gave Andrew beautiful feet and enabled Peter or Andrew to bring Peter to Jesus so two questions as we conclude this this morning one is who had the beautiful feet in your life who was it that told you about Jesus and the other question I would ask is in whose life have you been the beautiful feet? With whom have you shared the good news about Jesus? It's early in the year. And my prayer is that God will use all of us individually and collectively to tell the good news that we found the Messiah. And that God would use us in His sovereign purpose to bring people to Jesus. Would you pray with me for that? Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your word. We thank you for these great stories of real people who went through real experiences. It's hard for us to identify with someone like Andrew, who was a disciple of John. And then who followed Jesus. But Father, may we realize that our experience is much like his. And that we follow Jesus for the same reason. Because you have been so gracious to us. Changing our hearts. Opening our eyes. Enabling us to see and to believe. And Father, may we be the instruments of your grace in the lives of others. Give us the courage. And give us the grace and the freedom to tell others 
about Jesus, that we might be used by you to bring them to him. And we'll be sure to give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.